0: A little bit of a side detour today. We're gonna to, we're gonna pick up where we left off in uh, Acts chapter two. We'll start at verse. <clears> hey, <throat> oh, yeah, we'll we'll pick up right around verse forty there. But after the class last week, uh, is it Kira? Is that her name? Kira brought it to my attention that when I was talking about what really happened that day and how important and how fitting it was and all the things that were going on that day of Pentecost with the, uh, the, the anniversary of the giving of the law and then the giving of the spirit and just the contrast and she brought it to my attention that I did not remember, I didn't mention the covenant. This is the beginning of the new covenant. I mean, you talk about a big deal. That's a big deal. And, uh, she was like, oh, I started to say something, but I wasn't sure if I should speak up. And I said, well, of course you should have spoken. You know, just feel free. But I was like, oh, I can't believe I didn't mention the covenant. I mean, so we're going to backtrack a little bit and, and kind of cover that. We're going to look at some covenant stuff. But first, <clears throat> we're going to pick up where we left off on the day of Pentecost. So we talked about what happened. The Spirit came manifested itself audibly, visibly, and linguistically. That brought the people together to say, hey, what does this mean? So Peter preaches his awesome sermon, which, en- which elicits the next question for the people. Brothers, what shall we do? And he tells them, uh, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And then he says, And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So this is, a lot more was written that we don't, you know, it wasn't recorded, but we can imagine, like I said, it's he's just reasoning from the scriptures for these people. I'm sure, just like Paul did. And where he went, he went straight to the synagogue and it says he reasoned from the scriptures. To show the people, hey, this is what was spoken by the prophets. Here's the fulfillment. So let's pick up at 41. We're going to talk about the church where the Spirit reigned. Okay. Can I say something, like before? So I was curious why everybody was at the temple. Like, all of these people were there, and the Holy Spirit poured down on them. So I don't get the Passover, the Feast of Weeks, and all of that stuff. But when I look back on the Feast of Weeks, I think is what it is. Yep. It was Gentiles and Jews all gathered together on that day, and that's why they were there at the temple. Well, it's it's Gentile converts, because what's happening here is the Feast of Weeks, and it's one of the three feasts that God commanded that all the Israelite men had to travel to Jerusalem. Out of all the feasts, there were three of them. He said, all the men will present themselves at the temple. Feast of Weeks is one of those. So this is one of the feasts where everybody travels to Jerusalem to yep. worship at the temple. And if you look at that list... Which I thought it was so amazing that God had planned that. and that all of Absolutely. People, I mean, and the Holy Spirit poured out on this whole, all of these people that came together that it, they would normally wouldn't. So I thought that was really amazing. He absolutely planned it and orchestrated it. But this would be the day... It was the best. It was the most people would be here this day because it was easy to travel because of the time of year, the roads were in good shape. Rome, Rome had built all these roads for people to travel on. It was just perfect, perfect timing. It was, was fitting. It was time just time fitting. Was really and uh, yeah, that's absolutely right. This was the most cosmopolitan day of the year for Jerusalem. The most people from the most places would be here on this day. But they were uh, they were some Gentiles, but they were. Cause it's, let's see. It. Let's look at chapter two, verse. Let's just pick up at ten. It says where it's naming where the places where they're all from. Mm-hmm. It says Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jew and proselyte. So that's so that's Gentile converts. Yeah. So mostly it would just be Jews here to stay because it's the city is well, so I've, full. I read in the Feast of Weeks that Gentiles could come to or something. But maybe, um, I mean, they could, I guess, but I can't I find mean, out where I think that's like somebody going to Mardi Gras. You know, it's going to be wild, it's going to be crazy. The streets but all the just other ones were just for the Jews, and so this one wasn't. This one was allowed other people to be there, too. Maybe. Okay, thank you for that. But yes, it was, it was a very, uh, propitious day for the Spirit to come for this to happen because all these people from all over the known world are here I say and so let's pick up at 41 actually yeah well let's just yeah let's keep reading at 41 so then those who had received his word were baptized and that day there were added about 3,000 souls and okay, now we're, so now we're going to see what happened here this is the and this is the foundation church. These people, have, they don't even have a week ago to, to look back to for tradition or, or you know, just, there's been no time for any traditions to be established. They're going strictly on the Holy Spirit in the, in the words of the apostles in the teachings of Jesus. I mean, that's all they have to go on here. So we're going to see how that manifests itself. 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions, but sharing them all, sharing with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, and that just just on the side there. When I said earlier last week that we have to kind of assume that they didn't do all this around this upper room, they moved to the temple at some point. You know, that's not recorded, and it says right here that day by day they continuing with one mind in the temple. So I would, to me, that says they, this all started at the temple. But even so, you just couldn't get that many people in the streets around this building. They had to go somewhere where Peter could stand and speak to thousands of people all at once. The only place that could happen is at the Temple Mount. So, anyway. And uh, see, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. All right, so what we got here... Exactly. This is like the New Testament archetype church. This is, the, this is so foundational. The, this, these, these several verses. But this just tells what the people were doing immediately upon receiving the Spirit and the birth, of the church being born. So let's look at it. So, verse 42. Let's look at verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship breaking of bread and prayer the first thing they say is apostles teaching so they were hearing the word exp- exposited preached. priest <clears throat> so, I mean, so there's not it's, I don't think it's a coincidence that's the first thing ta- said here they were devoting themselves to the apostles teaching and that's fitting too because at this time you know there was no New Testament <laughs> like I told y'all last week they're all listening to Peter talking he says okay He didn't say turn to 1 John chapter 5. He just says turn to John. And everybody turns, and there's John standing there. And so John begins teaching little children, love one another, fellowship with one another. So you see, this is, it had to be the apostles because they're the ones who were with Jesus. They're the ones who saw what he did, heard what he said. They were there all the time. So it's okay. That's the first thing. So a true church with spirit reigned a healthy church with healthy people. It's Bible-centered and Christ-centered, okay? So that's the first thing we see there, although they didn't. Like they had the Bible. They had the Old Testament, so they, were, they would say, here's the Old Testament. Here's what the prophet Ezekiel said, and here's how Jesus fulfilled that, or here's how this day he has fulfilled this. He, he quoted that whole thing from Joel that, that announced the beginning of the of the church age, the age of grace, we read last week. And so, and to fellowship, so a healthy church will have a sphere of fellowship with each other. That word is koinonia, and this is its first use in the New Testament, right here, where it's talking about fellowship within the church, First first time it's used. And it, it's the, the uh, kind of the Greek, what do you call it, the meaning or the, the sense of this word is a commonality, you know, sharing life together. It's not just sitting and talking to each other. It's more than that. It's it's sharing life. It's doing life together. These people were not just meet. you know, it wasn't meet together on two or three days a year. I mean, these people were living together practically all the time. They just, imagine just, Try to put your heads, in, put your head in that space of what's happening here. It's just this wildfire is just blazing through this city of people, and it's just everybody's like, "What is that? What's going on? Why are all these people being baptized together? Are they Gentiles? What's happening?" Because at this point, nobody knows. I mean, they're all just at this point, baptism was always a Jew saying, "Hey, I've been living as a Gentile. I'm going to clean myself and become Jewish again." It's kind of. That's what they would have all seen. And so it's just crazy that's going on. Just, but anyway, so they had true fellowship with one another. They were truly concerned with each other, serving one another, submitting to one another, looking out for one another, teaching one another, praying for one another, all that stuff. So <clears throat> another fitting thing is they had the word the that koinonia comes from, It was Koine Greek. It was a common street language of the day. So that's another thing that made this the perfect time. There was one language everybody kind of spoke. It was that common. It was called Koine Greek, which means common Greek. Koine means common, commonality. And so everybody could hear and understand. Most people spoke Koine Greek. And then after that we see... To the breaking of bread, I think that means actually observing the Lord's Supper. They were doing that probably a lot. As new believers come into the church, they're showing them what Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. I'm sure they were doing this a lot. And to prayer. So that's why last week I was well, let's, let's about, let's meet together before class and have prayer. They were a very prayerful church, praying church. I figured, hey, this would be a perfect time that we could come together as church, pray for one another, pray with each other. So we we should have personal prayer uh, and group prayer, and maybe even a prayer partner, which could be your spouse, children, a a close friend who you trust. So prayer is so important. It's just as important as singing worship, as listening to the preaching. It's very important. It's in the very first verse that Luke gives us. Teaching, fellowship, prayer and the Lord's Supper. Which he says breaking bread. I think that's referring to the Lord's Supper. And I'm sure other, you know, just fellowship. Breaking bread together is fellowship. But So that's verse 42. And just again, I want to let you in if y'all didn't hear last week. We're going to meet in here before class. I didn't do it today because I was singing, but some of the men came in here, and and Corey was in here, and they had a little prayer time, just praying for the day, for the service, just for the Lord to be with us. We'll do that every week before Sunday school. We'll come in here at 9 o'clock and have a little prayer time Um, because it's important. And the more we pray, the more, the better off we're going to be. We're not gonna be filled with the Spirit until we ask him to fill us. He's not just gonna do it. We gotta we gotta open ourselves up to it, ask for it, realize how helpless we are and ask for help, and he will help us. Okay. I think one of the key things of that verse was they continually devoted themselves. Yep. And by doing that, even more people came to know the Absolutely. Continual Continually—that means constantly. They were just—they were dedicated. They were—they were about it. They were about the, the business of the, of spreading this message, and worshiping, and just declaring the the mighty deeds of the Lord. I mean, it was just—I'm oh, just, sure it was—it was so uplifting. Mine doesn't say continually, Mine says, and they <laughs> Mine says continually. Well, we came off Do you have the the legacies? No, this is in ASV, which is a word-for-word. That's why you want a word-for-word translation and not a paraphrase. So that word's there. All right, let's move on. 43. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. So number four is... The church have a spirit of awe at God's power, and yes, we don't have we don't have apostles today, you know, throwing out, casting out demons and healing people and things. That, but we we do see God's power moving every day. If you don't believe me, come to a freedom at last meeting one time. Mm-hmm. See see what's happening there. Mm-hmm. Look at look at my wife. You know, if you didn't well, y'all didn't know her much before her redemption, but she was not the same person she is now. Corey, I didn't know her before, but in shame, and me, I mean, I the year before I was baptized, I was sitting in a jail cell in Houston, Texas, and just as lost, as, and just as just wallowed in sin. I mean, wallowed in it. Loved every minute of it. I mean, I and it. what is my now? I'm a new creature. So we see that. Oh, we may not see signs perfect. and wonders. But, huh? I was perfect. I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> so, we know that, Miss Judy. I mean, uh-huh. We all knew that. Everybody—that's that's, common knowledge. That's, that's when the good Lord had to work twice as hard on me. So, there, <laughs> so if you—I just feel like if the church is not in awe of God's power and the way He moves in them, I mean, what are we doing? Amen. What are we doing? You just play in church. the it's, that's right. It's <laughs> just a. Social club, you know, you just you just a social club. You might have church in the name, but you're right. You can look right at this body for examples of that. Yep, that very thing. See it all the time. I see it all around me. Okay. I never witnessed anything like that. I like, these people do life. Because yeah. Because all the churches gone, Let me just close to exhort y'all. If, if you're not doing life with your church, please you don't start. Let's do it. I mean, obviously we are because we're all here this is our small group time we're going to talk about that too we'll get more to that but you need more than just corporate big worship you need smaller groups where you're known you know people they know you they know how to pray for you you know how to pray for them so let's move on anyway prayer purple. I wanted to point out that it says a note that it's fear you know and that the fear of the Lord that's the whole point that we don't look at the Lord because we are looking at ourselves and when we look at him, we can see how much we are sinners in need of the Savior. Yeah, you could you can translate. I bet you know, y'all. Okay, just bear with me. I'm going to say some things that I, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. To me, that that could be fear. That's what fear, of the Lord, is. It's all in His power and His majesty and his, his glory and His His wondrous His wondrous love. But and, his we, justice. We, and his justice and his wrath yes. okay. alright so next so spirit of all at God's power healthy church healthy Christians must have that spirit. the spirit of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom ok so next number 5 this is going to be verse 44 and all those who would we believe were together <laughs> and had all things in common there's that koine, koine again So what we see here is is unity. The church had a spirit of unity. They were all together with all things in common. They were united in Christ and in their faith. And this had to be hard because these people are, these are temple worshipers. Uh, This is completely new. Let me reread this quote that I read a few weeks back which is pretty spitting for this this unity we're talking about. <clears throat> this is way back. Okay, this is from Alexander McLaren. Let uh, me make, make sure I cite this correctly. Give me a second here. Alexander McLaren. That's note number four. It's from Exposition of Holy Scripture, volume 10, written in 1974. This is from a commentary. But this guy cites it in this. So here's the quote. It says, Barbarian, Scythian, and this is, of course, not happening right now. This is all Jews, but still. Barbarian, Scythian, bond and free, male and female, Jew and Greek, learned and ignorant, clasped hands and sat down at one table and felt themselves all one in Christ Jesus. They were ready to break all other bonds and to yield to the uniting forces that streamed out from his cross. There had never been anything like it. No wonder that the world began to babble about sorcery and conspiracies and complicity and unnameable vices. So this is so ugly and so new. But, yeah. The churches are united in their, in their devotion here to, to these uh, characteristics of a, of, a, of a healthy believer, a spirit-led church. So they have a spirit of unity. So this is a funny little thing I heard this guy say. If you take unity and you take that I and put it out in front of it, what does it say then? I untie. So you break the unity. Okay, so we're host, we're all one we're one body. You know. So, verse forty-five, and they begin selling their property and possessions, and were sharing them with all. It doesn't say all brothers; it says all. So, I read that as they were sharing with whoever had need, as anyone might have need. So, what do we see there? They had a spirit of generosity church has a spirit of generosity. A healthy church does anyway. So Jesus said give and it will be given to you. So spirit of generosity. We're a very generous body. I know we support missions. We support each other. Y'all supported me. When I was a new member here, I don't know if you know this. But, uh, within the first year of my Repentance and faith and baptism. Um, we were looking to move away from here to Carolina for this job. Well, the job fell through around December of that year, and so suddenly I had no job. And of course, I was looking for a job, but there for about two months there, I, I had no income, and this church paid my rent, kept me in my trailer, so thank y'all for loving me and helping me some well, of us pray for you today I know, y'all blew it There's two people right in front of me <laughs> y'all, blew. y'all blew it yeah. y'all the reason <laughs> I ended up like I so, that's why I... Here, bro. okay, anyway so yes, yeah, spirit of generosity, God thank Jesus y'all thank right. y'all for being generous toward me that was God's design yeah, right. it was. It was perfect. He, everything is his yeah. well not, well I don't want to say that he sovereignly ordains yes. everything that comes to pass. Yes. Okay, so next, verse 46. Day by day, continuing with one mind, like I said are continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. That's why I feel like the first mention is Lord's Supper. That breaking of bread together, I just feel like that's what he's referring to there because he says it again later. In the same passage. So they were they were taking their meals together, house to house. Okay, because remember they had no church here, so they had their big corporate worship at the temple. Then they had their smaller groups house to house, right? Like I mentioned earlier. So they had. A, okay, <laughs> let me look at my notes. Like I was just saying, that's means I know what I'm talking about. They had a spirit of worship. Okay. That's what that's what this is this is saying here. They were continuing with one mind at the temple. That's their big corporate worship. Where they would all come together as a church and sing. And just imagine the the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were probably having a pissy. Yeah, they're coming together and preaching Christ and singing together and praying and worshiping. Not at the Holy of Holies, but all is, is a body here as if they don't need the temple anymore, so I'm sure they didn't like that. But yes, they, this is their, you have a, a good healthy church with healthy Christians, has a spirit of worship. Large corporate worship, and then you have your small group worship. Very important. Where they know you, you know them. So why do you- No, I don't think this is. is? Not this. House to house together, taking meals together. I don't think think that's Lord's Supper. I think so. I think that's why he mentions it twice. Now, they may have been doing that in their homes because they didn't have a church house. But, But there, so there's two different mentions here of taking meals. One is taking meals together and one is breaking bread together. And we in our common culture, that's just, we say that. Oh, we broke bread together. That means we had a meal together. That's You know, English is sloppy that way. I, I, when I hear breaking bread together, I think of Jesus pulling the the bread apart and saying, this is my body. Right? And, 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 and yeah, with that, you know, in, in, uh... What is the uh, oaks on their Emmaus, there we go. Uh, you know, he when he sat down and ate with them, and when he broke the bread, they recognized him. Right. And, and so in that case, that was kind of, kind of in, in a way, both. In, uh, their- and again, y'all, this is not coming from a commentator. This is just me, my reading of it. There's two, there's two times where bread is broken. One is in the first verse where we're talking about teaching, prayer, breaking of bread. That sounds like found, found foundational practice when the church comes together. Then later here we get taking meals together house to house. But I bet you anything this guy talks about. It. Let's, see what he, let's see what he says. He says not Oh, and there's just one thing I wanted to read about fellowship so we got two possibilities here we talk of fellowship and an ordinance of the church okay maybe maybe this maybe there's no distinction between these two statements in this passage I feel like there is I don't know why he would mention this twice yeah absolutely. When we go to each other's houses and eat. I, I love going to we all? Don't we all? <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> no. I'm sorry, but that woman needs to cook. Let me, me read y'all this thing about, about koinonia and fellowship I forgot about. My notes are not exactly. I, I just kind of wanted to do this today, just kind of listen, you know, not have a bunch of prepared statements, but just kind of go through this. But he, here's what this guy says about fellowship. Now, let me just read this whole thing. Fellowship costs something. It cost something in the early church. They, they had to count the cost, right? That's one of uh, J.C. Ryle's book, Holiness. He talks at length about this, about counting the cost. What does it cost you to follow Christ? And he says, if, it don't, if it's not costing you nothing, you might want to check your heart. You might be dead. Okay? But anyway, he says fellowship costs something in the early church. In contrast to our use of the word fellowship today, Fellowship is not just a sentimental feeling of oneness. It's not punching cookies. It does not take place simply because we are in the church hall. Fellowship comes through giving. True fellowship costs. So many people never know the joys of Christian fellowship because they have never learned to give themselves away. They visit a church or small study group with an eye only for what their own needs and go away saying, there's no fellowship here. The truth is, we will have fellowship only when we make it a practice to reach out to others and give something of ourselves. So fellowship is preeminently a work of the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians 13-14, Paul says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. He says, Furthermore, fellowship happens as we draw close to the Godhead. 1 John 1-3 says, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So as we experience koinonia with the Father and the Son, we draw closer to each other and enjoy true fellowship with one another. Now what were we talking about? Breaking of bread. This is the the, the church with the Spirit. He kind of, this guy, that's why I kind of, I didn't go through him, because he he breaks this down into only four sections, four main sections. Prayer and teaching, fellowship, evangelism. So I don't think he has anything to say about this. Now, Dr. Dykes did. That's where I kind of got this. He says he believes the first mention is Lord's Supper, Second mention is me together. So I mean, maybe I don't know. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so what's next? You can see in the context that it's yeah. they're they're differentiated. I mean, it doesn't change the meaning of the passage. It's just it's just 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 go away from it with this. They had a spirit of worship. Because fellowship is worship. It's not just when we sing together. Our life is worship. Our whole life is worship. Everything we do, every day, every word we say, worship. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. I feel like that's worship. I claim Christ. Now, if I don't live and exemplify that, then, then I'm taking His name in vain. I'm not reflecting what I say. If I claim Christ, I need to. That's, I need to take that name seriously. Uh, let's see, what's next? Verse 47. So they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, spirit of fellowship, praising God and having favor with all the people. So they were having a positive impact on the community. They were showing the love of Christ. So there was, there was more going on here than just some preaching and some words being spoken. People were seeing the spirit move in a mighty way among this, in this city. And they were having a positive impact on the on the church. Now that later, this this is going to change, right? They're going to come under some severe hardship. But right now, he clearly states they were having favor with all the people. So it hadn't really set in yet that man, this is dangerous. What they're saying, you know. So they had a they were having a positive impact on their community. Good, healthy church with healthy Christians will have a positive impact on the community that they reside in. Now we're, you know, we're out here in the middle of nowhere. But I would like to think if we were in a sitting in the middle of a neighborhood somewhere, that that neighborhood would know us, and know they could come to us. We, you know, that we were God's people. And then, lastly. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So they had open arms and hearts. They had a welcoming spirit. To whoever might, whoever the Lord would call. They repented and believed and were baptized. They were in, they were in, right? Who am I to say you can't be in if Jesus says you're in, you're in, right? So they had a welcoming spirit. A healthy church with healthy Christians will always have a welcoming spirit. So we shouldn't never let anybody walk in that door and not feel welcome. I can say personally, first time I came to this church, man, I felt welcome, very welcome. So I looked at and said, man. I think we'll come back. I mean, we, we hadn't even been in the door five minutes. We done decided, well, we'll be back. We'll come back. So bless y'all. So there we go. That's the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten characteristics of a healthy New Testament church. Hey, real quick, just, um, John MacArthur thinks the same as far as those breaking of bread and verse 42 reference to the Lord's table. The other is the giving of the resources. There you go. I trust John MacArthur and his his interpretations. He's he's pretty good at it. John MacArthur. Uh, I I, I think he knows how to read Greek pretty good Uh, and I I trust Dr. Dykes too I mean that's what he said he said I believe this is referring to the ordinance of the Lord's Supper and I just you know just trying to picture what's happening in my head when I'm when I read this and just try to think what was it like I just I can't imagine they weren't doing the Lord's Supper at every, you know, every time they came together almost, hey this is what the Lord said let me teach you what he said, because most they, know, they don't know um, the people in the upper room, when it happened knew right, because at this time there is no scripture to go refer to and say, oh how do I do the Lord's Supper, you got to be taught it, so I mean they're constantly teaching new converts, this is the Lord's Supper this is right. baptism First right? Corinthians, Corinthians 11 yeah. Yeah. They, well, they were they were mixing it. with what they were doing. They were coming together for the Lord's supper and just eating to get full. Yeah. They were. They were waiting for each other. Yeah. They were just showing up. Man, I'm hungry. let They have a little, I heard they have the Lord's supper over. it. Yeah. They were saying, "Hey, did you hear Scott's having the Lord's Supper at his house tonight? He always let's eat go eat. Barbecue. Yeah, <laughs> he gonna have ribs, whatever." So we're almost. I mean, it's like ten thirteen. I wanted to go to Hebrews talk about these covenants. I don't. Well, I mean, it's ten. It's almost ten thirteen. <coughs> huh? All right. Well, let's go to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter, let's go, let's start at chapter 8. 11, 11. So go to Hebrews chapter 8. And there's a whole section here where the writer of Hebrews, this sermon that Paul wrote, he is kind of contrasting old and new, old covenant practices. And institutions with New Covenant practices and institutions. This Madison It's a really interesting passage here, I mean, but the whole book of Hebrews. Okay, let's give some context. Hebrews is an exhortation to a body to not turn away. Don't don't go back. Christ is better. Right. It's kind of the whole kind of the big picture of this of this book is don't give up what's real for the Old Testament foreshadowing that's talking about what's real. So see, Jesus is, all that you used to practice, Jesus is a fulfillment of all that. So why would you leave the reality to go back to the to the prophecy? And I may not saying that right, but that's what he's saying. Don't turn away. Hold fast to your confession. Christ is better. He's a better Moses. He's a better prophet. He's a better king. He's a better priest. It's a better mediator to a better covenant. Yes, that's just, he hits them over and over. Christ is better. It's a great book. But let's go to chapter 7, verse 11. The first thing we're talking about is... Yeah, verse 11. What did I say? 8-7. Sorry, 8-7. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> Easy. Okay? So we're going to start because Kira specifically said the covenant. You didn't mention the covenant. So this is the... You know, the giving of the Holy Spirit is the covenant being um, starting. Okay? These are the, the, the first fruits. Remember, I said this was fitting. They call this the festival of the first fruits. These converts, these 3,000 converts, were the first fruits of the new covenant. Right? So that's why we're going to go here. Let's see. 8-7. My Bible says a new covenant. So it says... For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah." So let's just stop right there. Why is there a new covenant? Why is he even talking about a new covenant and a new priesthood? But the first covenant could make no one perfect. I think we're going to, to talk about that. Sorry. So I'm going to effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. So we're talking about the law, right? For they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their heart. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me, from the least to the greatest of them, for I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. So the main thing that jumps out at me right here is what he says there about, They shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen, and everyone, his brother, saying, "Know the Lord, for all will know me." So that means everyone in the new covenant is, is saved. So this is so different from the old covenant, where the old covenant was just if you were a part of Israel, you were you were caught, considered in the covenant, but that did not necessarily necessitate salvation. Salvation came by faith. Just being circumcised and observing the food laws ain't saving nobody. It pro- yes, it was all outwardly. The whole covenant was outward. Yes. It was just, it was just a different way. So, in the progression of God's relationship to His people and His redemptive plan, you know, there's there are steps, and this time in Israel is that covenant. It's all outward, outward uh, worship, and so they they would do all these things, but their hearts were open graves you know there were whitewashed tombs because they were depending on the law to save them but in this new covenant this everlasting covenant you don't have to teach your fellow citizen if he's a member of the covenant he's already saved right he's he's, he's redeemed by grace and that's un that is not undoable Yeah, there's all kind of stuff here that shows. but So what I was, why well, I wanted to have more time so we could just kind of go, there's a whole, let's go, go back to 711, chapter 7, verse 11. So there's a need for a new priesthood. And I, this is what, this is, this kind of really caught my, made me think here what he says. He says, Now if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, For on the basis of it, the people received the law. What further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be designated according to the order of Aaron? So we're talking about a new priesthood here. Not Levitical, not descended from Aaron. For when the priesthood is changed, of necessity there must take place a change of the law also. For the one concerning whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no one has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, a tribe with reference to which Moses spoke, nothing concerning priests. And this is clearer still, if another priest arises according to the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become such, not on the basis of a law of physical requirement, which means not by birth, but according to the power of an indestructible life, for it is attested of him, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is a setting aside of a former commandment because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. And on the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope to which we draw near to God. Inasmuch as it was not without an oath, for they indeed became priests without an oath. That's how he's talking about the Levites. They were priests by birth. But he, with an oath to the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. So much the more also Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. So, when they saw this about a new priesthood, according to the Lord of Melchizedek, okay, that's different from the priesthood they're used to. So what it says there, if the priesthood is changed of necessity, there takes place a change in the law also. And don't get hung up on Melchizedek. I mean, Melchizedek's from way back, what he means by order of Melchizedek. This is my understanding of it. Is Melchizedek is a it's like a type of Christ. He's a foreshadowing of Christ in a grammatic sense. The big thing was with- Melchizedek. Exactly. He's, 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 he is grammatically like Christ. He's not like Christ physically. Like he did have a mother and father, and he he died. He's not a priest forever, but in the scripture, he just appears, and he's a king and a priest. And he wasn't in the order of Aaron. He, he was no. This was before. This was before the flood, right? And Moses even came in right. And so, no. Abraham paid tribute to this guy. And this guy blessed Abraham, which by default means this guy was greater than Abraham. He was before Abraham. You see, dramatically, Melchizedek is a Being king and priest. Right. There's no genealogy. In, there's no mention of his mother or father. There's no mention of his passing. That's right, Mike. Exactly right. He's just, he just appears out of nowhere, basically. No mother, no father. No genealogy. Anyway, that's why they keep referring to Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a foreshadowing of Jesus. And so, there you go. Well, in the promise of the new covenant, Jeremiah 31, 31, it talks about the new covenant. Yeah. And there's just so much stuff in here. I'm just really... Encourage you to to study this book. All through here you got so the new priesthood, the need for a new priesthood, the greatness of the new priests, the new priestly service, the new covenant, the difference between the sanctuaries. He talks all about the earthly sanctuary. You know, there was this tent built, and you could not approach it unless you were a priest. then if you had to be the high priest to go into the Holy of Holies, and only that only once a year, but in this new Priesthood, we have we have access to the to the throne all the time through our one high priest, Jesus. So that's another big difference between the old and the old testament. There were many priests continuing offering service, continuing offering sacrifices. But now we have a great high priest who offered himself once for all. He had no sin of his own, so he didn't have to offer sacrifice for himself first. He was perfect, spotless. He offered. Mm-hmm. He, the priest, offered himself as the sacrifice and so has gained us access. That's all in here. So there's the limitations of the earthly service, the heavenly sanctuary, the mediator's death was necessary. And that's an interesting section too when he's talking about, for where, for where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For a covenant is valid only when men are dead. Now, this is like a wheel. Well, this chapter is in 13. this is chapter nine. Now this is nine eleven. Nine eleven. No, nine seventeen. I'm sorry. It kind of threw me this this thing because he's talking about how a covenant for a covenant is valid only when when men are dead, for it is never enforced while the one who made it lives. What does that sound like? A last will. So the, the heirs, because because this there's a lot of in here about the heirship of Christ. You know, he's been made heir of all things. Oh, there's one section where he says, "We do not yet see all things subjected to him, but he is the heir of all things." And that's you know, saying that's coming. Not it's not yet. All things have not yet been placed in subjection under his feet. I think it's what he said, I, I forget where it's at. It's more back back toward more the beginning. But this language is it's like a will and testament. So the heirs don't receive the inheritance. So the one who made the will is gone. Okay, so that's why the mediator had to die. Okay, so then there's the greatness of his sacrifice. And it's just man, there's just so much there. We don't have time, but because we, but anyway, there you yeah. go. This, this this day is the new covenant is coming into force and it's just better in every way. It's got a better mediator. All that at the beginning about angels. I, I, people have said that's because there was this angel cult that were worshipping angels and this preacher was trying. I, I don't think that's what that is. I think he's just, he's beginning his argument about Jesus being better because he's a better mediator of a better covenant. So, you know, the Old Testament was mediated through angels the Old Testament covenant. The New Testament is mediated through the Son. So I think that whole section about angels, the Son was made lower, but then he was exalted, and he has his heir to a more excellent name than they, and to which angel did he say this? To which? All that is to show that Jesus is a better mediator of a better covenant than the covenant mediated through angels in the Old Covenant. There's so much in here about the Old versus the New. This is what the old was saying. Here's the fulfillment, okay? All right, we better...